0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless, utterly meaningless. Now, it sounds like a drunk philosophy professor drinking scotch in the corner of a commencement address or something, doesn't it? I mean, can't you just see him slobbering over there? Everything is meaningless. It, turn, it turns out these are the words in the Bible from Solomon, the wisest, wealthiest, most powerful man that existed in the 5th century B.C. He wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. We're going to spend six weeks this summer studying it together. I am very excited about this. I, um, I've been waiting for years to teach this. I felt like I needed to be 50 or so or above to teach it, and I've arrived at at least 50 And I'm starting to grasp what this book means. And Solomon has this experience. The reason he's able to write these words that are raw and irreverent and they are daring. He's coming after us. He's coming after us. Before Jack Nicholson ever said, you know, you can't handle the truth, he was writing this book. Solomon. And his problem is he lived too long. And he thought too deeply. He, he, he saw a lot of funerals. He saw good funerals. He saw bad funerals. He saw, he saw wealth come and wealth go. He saw innocence lost. He saw evil people win. He saw so many things because he lived long. And then he kept taking these walks. He kept thinking about the meaning and the purpose of life. And it rattled him. And he had, he had luxury to be able to explore the vast avenues of choices that we have before us to try to find meaning. And so he, and he did that, and, he, and he, wanted to, he wanted to find that meaning. And so this, is, this book is like this cage fight of intellectual interrogation about what matters and what doesn't. It's a fantastic book. It, it spares no one. If you think because you follow Christ, you'll be spared from this book, he's coming after you, and you might not be able to handle the truth, I would ask that you come back for this six weeks, and I ask that you'd come with an open heart and a mind with the wheels turning, because this will save you a lot of mistakes. There's, there's so many dead-end roads, but we don't have the fuel to go down those roads. But Solomon did. Solomon did. So we might think that they might wander some place of significance, and he'll say, no, 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 that's meaningless. Utterly meaningless. All things are meaningless. The theme of the book, in many respects, certainly the first two chapters, is right there. Chapter 1, verse 2 says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And in those first two chapters, we're going to find out about what he looks. He kind of takes a, a time out from believing in God and tries to find the meaning and purpose of life outside of him. It is not a good story, but it, it is one that we have our hopes in, and he's trying to keep us from going there. Let me give you a really quick outline. If you look in your, in your, in your bulletin, right, it says uh, how he sees and then, he, and then what he sees. Okay, What the teacher sees or how the teacher sees and then what he actually sees. So let's look at how. The reason I, I said how he sees is because you need to look at, like, his perspective that I just mentioned, that in the first two chapters, that he's going to, he's going to, uh, as thematically look at verse three, he says, what, what, what do people gain from all their labors which they toil under the sun? That, that's a loaded set of words, each helping us understand how Solomon is seeing life. First one is this under the sun. He's used 30 times in this book, and nowhere else in the Old Testament. And this is, this is a book that says what would happen if there were no God? There was no God in the world. Here's how to see life. And so he's looking at life. Under the sun means created things. If all you can use is is created things that are, by definition, temporal, not eternal, then how come there's still something nagging me? Solomon is in that trap that all human beings are in because we are cursed, blessed, whatever, with this wanting more out of life. You know, something's missing. And yet, he keeps trying to find how to fill that missingness. And so, and also, the, the, what's also great about this verse, it says, uh, what do people gain? When, we, when it says in your Bible, vanity of vanities, meaningless, meaningless, whatever those, the words that might be. Futility, sometimes they'll say. There's so many different definitions for that, but this, ver, this verse is a key to understanding what it means when it says vanity, vanities, or meaningless, meaningless. What is it profit? What does a person gain? That's a financial term. And he wants us to consider that like in our souls. What does it gain? At the end of the day, after all of the funerals, in 1,000, 10,000 years from now, what do you have to show for anything? Under the sun, what do you have to gain for it? A New Testament um, verse that would nicely uh, work with this one would be, Uh, the one that you might be familiar with in Mark chapter 8. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? The word profit would be a Greek version of this Hebrew word. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world if it costs him his soul? What do you have left over? What what good comes from that? It's it's not a negative thing. It's just like, what, what counts? Who cares? What difference does any of this make? So that's how he's looking at life, trying to figure out if there's profit using just temporal things. And now we're going to look at what the teacher sees. Let me give you an outline so that you'll understand what he's doing in the, these first two chapters. That'd be helpful. Uh, so this is what he's looking at. The first one that he's looking at is, here's what I learned. He'll make a summary statement in the first nine or 11 verses there, or four through 11 rather, and then, and then he's going to say, look, I'm going to show you what I did so that you'll know I came to this conclusion with a, you know, a significant effort on my part. I came to this conclusion, and here's what I did. I mean, he's going to look at four things that he pursued. And then finally, he's going to hopefully give us some advice so to, to head us off and to save us some time. But first, let's look at what he learned. And here's what he learned, that life is fleeting. Life is passing. It is here. It is gone. And, and look at where it says in verse 4, Generations of people come and generations of people go, but the earth remains forever. And then he starts just telling, he's just making, obs- oh, excuse me, he makes these observations And he says, you know what, wait a minute, Uh, the sun rises, the sun sets, he's looking at the four elements, you know, the wind blows, the waters come down from the mountains through the streams into the ocean, and then they get refilled, and the cycles have the, the rocks, well, the rocks are there, you know, earth, wind, fire, and rain, they're always there. And yet, the generations come. The generations go, and look at verse 11. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come in the future, oh, they're not going to be remembered by those who follow them. Your generation will come, we'll have all these funerals, and then the people will forget about the funerals, and then you'll be forgotten. 30 days, 40 days after we put you in the ground, there will be a handful of people that remember you for two years, and then they die. And he, what he's saying, he's, he's kind of mocking this idea that we'll, we think we'll be remembered, and the world says, really? You seem so brief to me. We look at the waves at the ocean and go, well, look at how short that wave is. And the ocean looks back and says, you're telling me? We name rocks. Humans, in their audacity, name rocks. Can you imagine flying up to Massachusetts and interviewing Plymouth Rock? Hello, Plymouth Rock. Quit calling me that. I was here for 10,000 years before your little pilgrim showed up. I'll be here another 100 million years after people have forgotten that your trivial little country even existed. What is it called, the United States? I'm not even going to remember your name. Don't call me Plymouth Rock. I've been here. I'll be here. And everyone's going to forget you ever existed. That's what Solomon's saying. It's a pretty difficult thing to stomach that you will die and you'll be forgotten very soon. And, so, and, and here's how he comes to that conclusion. He tries to, he tries to like maximize and leverage every possible aspect of finding meaning and purpose in life. Maybe he could survive the rock. And that's why he says, look at the way that I lived. Look at the way that I lived. He, and he starts off pursuing four different things because there's this hunger inside of his soul. And it can't be... Satisfied for some reason. It's like we, we he's, he's, he's trying to be the man. If there was ever a man, this is the man. And he spent some time giving his resume. If there's ever a man that could find the key that could unlock this mystery in life, it is this man Solomon. And I'll, I'll read you some verses, and I'll tell you the history behind it, referencing other parts in the Bible, because he is committed to finding the meaning and the purpose of life under the sun. The first thing he pursues is wisdom. Well, that's a good place to start. I, I'm going to grow in wisdom and understanding, verse 17, and I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom. But I learned in the end of the day that this, too, is chasing the wind. It's, you, can't, you can't chase the wind. He went to college, and then he went to grad school, and then he went, worked on a doctoral degree, and then he did postdoctoral stuff. And he wasn't, just, he wasn't going to school so that he could do something else. He went for to find meaning and purpose, wisdom's sake. Look at what happened in verse 18. He says, For much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. He took the classes. The classes made him think deeply, and the deeper he thought, the more he realized there is nothing of value. It's vanity. It's meaningless. Do you know people that go to school for some you know college or graduate school and they're not going again they're not going so they can get a degree so that they can go to work and do some other distraction but they're actually going for meaning and so it doesn't happen in undergrad of course not and so they go to graduate school and then they get a doctorate and then they're working on postdoctoral issues and they and you and there's so so many of them are the most miserable cynical lost people i have ever known because they, they because their hope their hope is in Somebody in Boston, yeah, I'm going I'm to serve as an intern or something, as a teaching assistant for somebody in Boston. No, it's not working there. I'll go to England, go to London. There's some schools there. Paris, oh, I got, now I'm going to find the existential meaning of life. And they just wander their whole lives looking, and Solomon says, you won't find it. You still haven't found what you're looking for. Something's missing. It can't be found in the academies. And so he says, fine, okay. Well, I'll just go on. I'll pursue pleasure instead of wisdom. And this guy, I, he can go to 11, okay? This guy goes to 11. Look at verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 3. This is in your Bibles, by the way. <laughs> First, I tried cheering myself up with wine. You know? How much wine do you think it, it takes to... Satisfy the longings of an eternal soul. There's not enough wine. But he, listen, he gave it his fraternity try. He goes on this binge of pleasure seeking, this like the ultimate toga party. And he he does not shy away from every extravagant expression of pleasure and food and wine and women. And it just goes, it's an all in commitment to hedonism. If you look if you look in First Kings chapter 4 you can read about this one party that he threw that I think took almost a month long and scholars have done they don't know how many people were there but they did the math on in light of how many cattle and sheep they were killing in light of how much the measurements of wine was being brought to this event there had to have been 30 to 40,000 people at this long running event all the while, it says, if you look closely at the text, it'll say that, that he was studying what was happening and he found that there was still something more. That was something missing. He hadn't found what he was looking for. And so and he got, you know, he hung over. That's what he ended up getting from that. And so he says, okay, okay, if the academy's not going to help me and the frat party won't help me, then I'm going to just collect stuff, I'm going to get things. I'm gonna, I'm gonna amass wealth. And again, this guy, you don't know people like him. You don't. I mean, and, and it's, it's subtle, but it, and it says, I overlooked great projects, I built houses. Okay, it's, again, you, you have to look at other passages like in 1 Kings chapter 10 when he, it says, I built houses. For example, his own house. It, took, it wasn't a house, it was a palace. And, and in It took 13 years to build. Can you be? just imagine being married to him and say, honey, I'm pregnant. Great. Let's build a house with a nursery. Okay? You know, your son moves into his bedroom. He's in eighth grade. 13 years. It must be a pretty nice place. Oh, people came to tour this thing from Egypt. And that's the main house. Of course, he had the house in the forest. You, do you know people that have a house in the forest of Lebanon? You probably don't. And then one of his wives is the, uh, the daughter of Pharaoh. So you can bet that place was nice. But look, I know you probably know people that have a main house and they have a house in the mountains and a house at the beach. <laughs> Solomon is a king. He built cities. <laughs> it says in 1 Kings, he built cities six cities where he would roll up in his chariot and cut a ribbon and assign a mayor and get back in the chariot and go off to the next mall opening, some balloons to fill up. See He built cities. He was, he, and you know what he said? He said, he said, I don't see much in that. And so he, so he made them beautiful. So we keep reading. He made them beautiful. I made gardens and parks and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water the groves of the flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves. Of course you did. And then I bred humans. I love that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he was breeding horses. He was. But he, now I'm going to breed humans. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem ever before. So he's keeping score with a bank, and that's their bank is how many herd cattle you have. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of the kings and provinces. 1 Kings chapter 10.27 says that silver was so common it was like rocks in Jerusalem. It had lost its value because it was so plentiful. They didn't have vaults big enough for his gold. Yeah, he's collecting stuff. Here's my favorite part because I like, anyway. I acquired men and women singers. <laughs> So I have this phone, it's a, it's, a, it's a really, it's a neat phone, it's very technologically advanced, and so I have a bunch of music on it. And I have like hundreds of songs on there. And I, you know, I, I love classic rock, I grew up in that era, and what I would give to just be in a room with like, for example, the Eagles playing. This guy would say to me, the Eagles, you have a phone with songs on them? I own the bands. When I wanna go hear someone, I say, hey, let's go boys, Hey, Don Henley, will you quit moping around? Ask Sting. He doesn't have an attitude like you. Get out here and sing, you know, I don't know, Life in the Fast Lane. That makes sense to me. Kansas, you're on next. Let's go. Dust in the Wind. That's a (laughs) pick-me-upper. If you have it on your iPhone, he had it in his garage. He bought the band. Are you entertained by, I don't know, what's your favorite sitcom? He owns them. I mean, instead of a Netflix binge, you just put them out there until they drop. Keep it going. I'm still, no, keep it going. I'm still watching. That's what he, he bought. He bought his entertainment. Verse eight I had harems as well. It's the light of every man's heart. Of course it is. Verse nine I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. He had fame, and he had fortune. He was the most famous man in the the ancient Near East. Again, the queen of Egypt came to visit him, and when she met him, she said, the stories were pale in comparison to what I'm seeing in all of these things, in all of your wisdom, and you can throw a party. Here's what he said. he, He got nothing from it. There was still a void in him. There was still a lot missing. In verse 11, he said, And then when I surveyed that all I'd done it with my hands and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. There's no profit. It was just chasing the wind. He had absolute, right, ungoverned self gratification in every context. Okay, he went down all the roads we go down that wander and weave, and we don't think they're dead ends because we don't have the resources to get there. And he got to the end and said, it's, it's, there's nothing there. There's something missing. I still haven't found what I'm missing, what I'm looking for. Here's what I liken it to. I, I've seen this on television, you might have too, um, the dog races, right? And so there's these gorgeous greyhounds, right? And they've got to get them to race as fast as they can around a pretty big track. And so what they do is they put a little rabbit on the inside rail. I mean, it's not a real rabbit. It's just this toy rabbit on a, just on a machine, you know? And so they line the, the dogs up, and they hit a buzzer, and then the rabbit runs, and all these greyhounds they go, I don't know, it's a quarter mile race, who knows, but what matters is they all end up back where they started, and they never catch the rabbit, and the rabbit's not even real. (laughs) But hey, line them up again, hit the buzzer, send the rabbit out. And Solomon is saying, you know what, I mean, the first time I chased wisdom, that was a cute little bunny rabbit, the little white one, and I ran my heart out, and when I got back to the beginning, I kind of went, you know... Uh, something's still missing. And so I thought, well, I'll just change the rabbit. You know, I'll put a little brown rabbit out there, and uh, the buzzer goes off, and I chased it around, and and the hedonism, and, and that didn't work either. And so if I could just put a calico rabbit, maybe that's the solution to the problem. Did I tell you it's not even a real rabbit? And you'll never catch it. After three laps, Solomon's going, there's nothing that matters. It's all void. It's, it's meaningless. There's nothing profitable about any of this. So I'll just work, you know. I'll, just, I'll, I'll put my head down, and I'll just earn a good living and make kind of a name for myself and, give, and have something to give to my family. I mean, you know what I mean? I'm going to be a family guy where I build up a business, and I can give it to my family. And So that's his fourth little rabbit chase that he does. He said, I'm going to work hard. In verse 17, he says, I hated my life. I hated it. Look, because the work that is done under the sun is so grievous to me, and all of this is meaningless, chasing after the wind. Do you know why? Because as he got older and older, and his company got bigger and bigger, and he had the vastness of his kingdom, he looked at his children and said, I don't know if these are the people I want to leave this company to. And it was true because within maybe a year after leaving the kingdom to his son, Rehoboam, there was a civil war and the countries were vulnerable and then soon attacked. And here's what he He sees it coming in verse 18. I'll read it and then you'll catch it later on. He says, I hated the things that I toiled under the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after me and who knows, who knows whether he will have be a wise man or a fool. And yet he will have control over all the work into which I had poured all of my effort and skill under the sun for many years. It's all just meaningless. So my heart began to despair all over for the toilsome labor that I had done under the sun. And here, verse 22, what do people get with all of their toil and anxious striving, which is what they labor under the sun? All the days of their work and their grief and their pain, even at night their minds are restless, they do not rest they are meaningless. I started in the, right in the basement as the delivery boy. I was the first one there. I was the last one to leave. I was working 50 to 75 hours a week. I worked my way to the top. I started my own company. We named it after me. We go international, IPO. We make it big time, and then I give it to a child that wrecks it in, within, a, within weeks after my funeral. What difference did any of that make? I was working with somebody about it, some inheritance money, and then the financial advisor said most inheritance money lasts nine months after it's been inherited. I said, well, you know, I mean, how much? Like if somebody makes $100,000, they get 100000 bucks. I mean, everybody wants a boat, right? And he said, yeah, it's interesting. They do. That's the first thing they buy is a boat. And, and he said, no, 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 it doesn't matter how much. If people get $10,000 or $20 million, it's the average, it's all gone in nine months. Well, how can you spend... $10 million in nine months. They find a way. So, uh, if, if, you were the, if you were the CEO of Blockbuster Video, would you be bragging about that? They come, they become famous, and they leave. You would five years ago. I'm the president of Blockbuster Video. The cutting edge. Not so much now. Now we're just trying to get off the ship. So that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about hope. He's talking about where you put your hope in what matters in life, the ultimate things in life. And he said most of these things that he's talking about are mere distractions for you and I. Pascal wrote many of his thoughts were about how we stay amused and distracted from having a very intense, thoughtful Walk about what life is really all about. And this man, he pondered these things. And he's warning us, he's saying, You'd better be very careful about what you put your hope in. Because these, all these things, they're means, not ends. There is nothing under the sun that can satisfy the longing and the screaming of your soul within you. He's saying this, he's saying, Listen to me, I have been everywhere. I have done everything. You don't have to do this. Hear my words of caution. He's sending up a flare. He's saying most of what you are trying to do is chasing the wind. It is vanity. It is meaningless. It has no profit. He's begging us to get involved with changing what we hope for. Uh, there was somewhat of a, a genius producer and writer in the 70s of a television show called Twilight Zone. His name was Rod Serling. And anyway, he, he had one of his episodes of the Twilight Zone was about a, a man that must have been in a car wreck or something, but he wakes up after this uh, tragic event. And when he wakes up, he's in this beautiful room, and, he's, and he has a, like a butler or a servant that's assigned to him. And, and he says, what, what's, what's going on? He goes, well, I'm here to serve you. And it, it, basically, he's a genie, but there's not three wishes. It's that whole unlimited, you know, unlimited wish thing. And so he said, well, you've got to be kidding. Well, what do you want? How can I serve you? He says, I want, a, I want a huge house. I want a palace. I want a castle. He goes, fine. Is 15 rooms enough? Sure, 15 rooms, 17 bathrooms, view of the Alps. Boing, pop, it's there, right? And so is that all? He goes, well, uh, I'm kind of a car guy. List the cars. Pop a whole garage filled with cars. He says, uh, let's see the world together. So he takes his genie and he sees the world and kind of felt lonely after that and says, I want somebody to spend time with. Just one? Well, maybe more than one. And poof, he's got some friends and acquaintances and a couple wives maybe. Who knows? I mean, that's how the story rolls out. He wants food, lavish food. I want all the food I can eat or drink. But what's happening in the story, when he starts off, he's pretty excited about where he is. But you can see the degradation of Of his enthusiasm, and towards the end, he's kind of demented, and and finally, you know, the servant walks up. He goes, "What what are we going to do today?" And he says, "I can't, I can't take it anymore. I can't stand this. I'd rather be in hell than here." And the servant says, "You are in hell. This is hell. You get everything you want, but nothing you need. Forever. It's all meaningless." meaningless, that's what you get. That's what Solomon learned. That's what he lived. He did what we hope to do, and that's what keeps us going. And then he comes back and says, no, look, this is what you need to learn from all of this. And you can't find it here. The first two chapters are about living outside of God's world, and the rest of the chapters, well, they're about living inside of God's experience, but it's still it's not fair, it doesn't make sense, and he's going to come after us. But let me tell you what he, how he concludes. He says, look, you've got, I'll just go to the end of the book and I'll tell you how to, how to just get through the next day. He says, when all has been said, now that all has been heard, here's the conclusion on the matter. Okay, Here's the sum total of all my wasted years. This is the last scratch of my autobiography. This is it. Write this down and save yourselves decades. He says this, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. You can't get it here. So just fear God, love him, see his awesomeness and tremble and just obey him. There's a lot of joy in the obedience Augustine said, right? Augustine, St. Augustine, a little bit, a lot like Solomon, okay? Somewhat of a pirate in his days, kind of a philanderer, played the field with the girls, was from a somewhat affluent background, did whatever he felt like doing, and, he just, and then he realized he was just haunted in his diary. He's haunted. And he, he wrote this in his autobiography He says, The Lord has, has uh, made us restless until we find rest in thee. Lord, you have made my soul restless until I find rest in thee. Look, you need to understand kind of holistically what the Bible says about some of the things we've talked about. It's not, the Bible's not against wisdom. This book and other books will say pursue wisdom. It's better to be smart than dumb. It's not against enjoying yourself. In this book and other books, it says live your life and enjoy the 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 beauties of the pleasures of life, in the boundaries of God that keeps your soul safe. Guard your heart. It's the wellspring of your life. It says enjoy producing things and buying stuff and having stuff. Make sure the stuff doesn't have you. And how do you know? Well, how generous are you? Can you give stuff away lavishly so that you can prove that you you aren't under its power? It's under your power. It loves for you to work in the context of the way God made you and enjoy a great job. All of that is good. But those are means, not ends. Those will not fill this empty void. This, It will not shut this thing up that's chirping inside of you, wanting more. Those are rabbits running around an oval track. These are distractions, nothing more. You will die, and you will be forgotten. And it's going to happen sooner than you ever thought. And if you grasp that, it's freeing. And the sooner you grasp it, the, better you'll be, the sooner you'll be free and the better you'll be free. Look, I, somebody came to me between services, and, and he's an older guy. He's been in a, in a similar business uh, for, uh, for a long period of time. He's about my age. And, and he said, two times this year, men that were above me that I worked for have gotten death certificates. They found out they were going to die. And they were extremely wealthy and successful men. I mean, one of them, of course, when he was starting his his steep descent, traded in his wife on a newer model, bought some cars, started trading racehorses, the whole thing. Then he got his notice, two months. Both men said the same thing. They said, I'm going back to the last time I was happy. 30 years ago with my first wife. She's a Christian. She'll take me back. She's going to let me die at her house. 30 years of chasing the wind. Solomon, that man, if he were here, if he were sitting on this stage, if he were lying in his hospice bed, he'd say, don't waste your life chasing rabbits around an oval track. They're not real. You'll never catch them. Some of you need to seriously wake up. You think you're the exception. If you had that bonus, if you had another zip code, if only more people knew about your intelligence, you think it would work for you, right? I mean, how many of us are walking around with this Miley Cyrus value? Oh, I'll never do that. I mean, (laughs) not like she was the first one, but she's the poster child today. Solomon's telling you, what are you chasing? chasing fake rabbits around an oval track? Really? Where is your hope? Could you be forgotten, ignored, impoverished, not feeling pleasurable things, but be settled? You can. You have to leave a lot of other hope behind. Look, let's just Could you do this for me? Could you just, could you, would you um, humor me and uh, just bow your head and close your eyes a little bit? Let's just kind of, let's think about this. Let's think about this. Hospice is an organization that they will serve you when you find out that you have less than two to three months to live in. They will give you a quiet little bed. You might have seen it. It's a quiet little bed in a quiet little room. And then that room will start nagging you. Would you please put yourself in that bed right now? There is a hospice bed for you. I hope you get to enjoy your death. It's the only one you get. When you're there in that bed, and you're still sober, will you have a lot of regrets? Will you have trophies on the wall of rabbits you almost caught? Are you going to have a view of your car in the driveway of the hospital? I think, I, think today, I think today is a day that God brought you to this church to say, what are you doing and why? What are you chasing? Where is your hope? Because Solomon would love to grab you, just grab you both ears and look at you and say, it's all meaningless, meaningless. It's utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless under the sun. At the end of the day, fear God. You know what to do. Just call it like it is. The stuff you do, the things you desire, the hopes you have, they're stupid. Stop with the distractions. Get on this other road. That's what Solomon would say to you. He's crying from this book. Don't live my life live God's life for you. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would help us. There's so many of us in this room right now, and we've just been chasing rabbits. And we might be followers of Jesus Christ, but only if you're leading to success or pleasure or fame or whatever. Lord, I'd ask that you would sober us up. (laughs) We would handle this truth. That we can't find meaning here. Lord Jesus, I would ask that your spirit would n- just nag us, haunt us, have us hate the things that are temporal, that are petty. You, you would have us, if if those are our, the things that we desire, you know, and hope for, that you would you would cause us to be nauseated by those things. Cause us to long for more. Let us be haunted like he was haunted. We'd be searching for something more. We'd see that in our lives maybe something's missing and that you would help us find that solution. We pray this in Jesus' holy name, amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.